good morning, Firehouse Church, or good evening, depending on what time you're listening to this. For those of you who haven't met me, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the Firehouse Church, and I'm going to share with you a little bit this morning from the Word, uh, something for us to all sort of wrestle with and, and grow in, and uh, then there'll be some discussion in your house church circles right after that. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along. We're going to be uh, in the book of John. We're going to start there in uh, John chapter 13. And uh, we'll be starting right there in the first verse. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So now you've probably almost certainly heard this story uh, at some point, and I'm sure you've probably heard it explained, but uh, just in case, I'm going to sort of reemphasize for you just some of the background here is, you know, obviously uh, the, the, the Gospels take place in that uh, first century of Israel, and you know, sort of given the technology level of things that were going on in that culture at that time, we understand that Israel is a hot and dry place to begin with, generally speaking, and it's very dusty place, and the roads were uh, not paved. They were dirt roads and dirt paths, and so everything was very dusty and uh, dirty for traveling and, and going about your business and going about the day. And uh, furthermore, they, you know, their, their level of technology, they did not have good trash service. So there was uh, surely trash and other wastes present in the roads and in places where you'd walk. And 
Of course, a, a big part of their world was uh, livestock and animals, and so there surely was plenty of animal dung hanging around uh, on the roads and the paths. And so you can imagine if you were in this place, you would, uh, as you walked along, your feet uh, must have just been awful at the end of the day right? You can just imagine if you had to walk through all of that. I, I don't know if any of you have ever been to places in the world that are still like this. I know I have, uh, and it's pretty awful. You get inside somewhere and you say, what is that smell? And that's your feet. Uh, and so you think about this story here. And so they've been walking around in the day on this day of the Passover and their feet were dirty and they came to have this nice feast. And um, as we understand from from history and from the passages that uh, it was a reclining table and at that type of table uh, your feet are not hidden they're kind of right out there and so I'm sure the smell and everything was was awful and um, but that's what it was and maybe they were used to it but it, it was a very nice thing uh, at these sort of meals to have your feet washed as you can imagine especially to have somebody else do that would be a sign of um, sort of your your royalty or a sign of your importance that you had somebody there to wash your feet. Now, at this feast, Jesus, he's there, he's, he's the guy. He's the one at the place of honor. It's him and the disciples. You know, he's not at somebody else's house. They're at this place. It's for them. And so, uh, as was important in their culture, they had him seated at the head of the table, at the place of honor. Um, and of course, he's Jesus. They understand that He's the Messiah, and he means so much to these guys. Uh, and so clearly there's nobody else in the room who has any more honor, any more respect uh, than he does. Um, and so in this situation, Jesus had every excuse to not get up and wash anybody's feet. It was almost uh, just unimaginable that he would do that, and we can see that in the passages Simon Peter reacts to it uh, because Simon Peter is really reacting to sort of in a, in a worldly way um, to what's going on here. So uh, in this culture, the, the foot washing, if, if there was foot washing to be performed by somebody else, it was really left to the lowest of servants. Uh, it was really like, I bet the servants probably <laughs> sat there and, and drew lots and or whoever was the lowest guy in the totem pole. You were like, you get to wash the feet. Uh, and that was a very foul task, uh, as you could imagine. Uh, in this case, you know, uh, 13 guys' feet, uh, uh, you know, 26 feet, that would be pretty awful. You'd be pretty sick of it by the time you got uh, to the end of that. Now, if it had been up to me and I was in this situation, I would have said, no, 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 I probably would have been like Peter. And I would have said, no, let's leave this task to somebody else. Uh, can we call up a professional foot washer here? Uh, and have them come in and wash our feet. Like, we don't want Jesus to do this, or none of us really want to do this. Or, hey, maybe there's somebody here. Is there somebody in this circle who, who maybe is, has the gift? Do you have the gift of uh, washing feet? Is anybody, would you, could you do that for us? Because you have that gift. Um, of course, I'm joking, because I don't think there's really a, a spiritual gift of, of foot washing, per se. But um, even if there is such a thing, and even if there were, you know, professional foot washers, or there were people who maybe were more gifted in that than others, um, we have to recognize that uh, washing feet is, in under every circumstance, going to be hard work and unpleasant. Whether you're a professional or you're gifted or not, it's going to be hard. It's going to be unpleasant. And so we look at this story, we look at this situation, we see that Jesus clearly modeled 
how we should approach serving each other. He's not just telling us, hey, wash your feet, because there's, there's places where you know, the actual washing of feet isn't, maybe doesn't make as big of a deal. Um, but he's modeling for us, and he says that. Do you see what I've done? He says, here's how we should approach serving one another, and he's calling us to be willing to do dirty work. Now let's look at something else Jesus said about serving each other. So if you flip over just two chapters to John chapter 15, and you want to look at verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now we can just skim over that verse. Uh, you know, it's probably one we've, we've heard a lot, and we hear it uh, out in the culture sometimes. But think about it just for a second. The greatest love, the greatest love that's possible is to lay down your life. And when you think about that, you go, wow, that is dangerous. That is risky. If you're going to lay down your life, it means you won't get your way. It means you're not going to get your preference. You're not going to be able to hold on to your comfort. You're not going to be able to hold on to your security. And in some instances, I, it could even cost you your life. So uh, Jesus called us not only to do dirty work, but he also called us to do dangerous work and uncomfortable work. And so I'd ask this, how are we doing with this in America, do you think? How, how are we doing with, with this as Christians? And then how are we doing, about doing this with this in our own church? And I think I would sort of guess that maybe not as well as we'd like to be doing with it. But who cares what we think? I think we ought to just compare how are we doing according to Jesus' standards. And when I look at the Christian culture around us, I kind of see two dominant trends as it pertains to serving. The first trend I see is there's this move to go and push service, push serving onto a class of what I would call professional servers. Uh, and so if you go look at large churches in America, it's pretty obvious. You can just go to their website and go look at the staff section on their web pages. Uh, and they have lots and lots of staff who are there to fill lots and lots of roles. And so there can be this attitude that you can hear and we can pick up from people sometimes in, in those scenarios. And they show up with their kids and they want to put their kids in Sunday school, for example. And they say, why would I serve with the children if there are people who are getting paid to do that? Or people who like to do that? Or people who are gifted in doing that? So essentially what they're doing is pushing that off. And in some instances paying other people to do what Jesus actually called all of us to do. Now, in small churches, it's maybe a little bit less obvious than it can be in large churches. But I would say just to challenge you this morning, look around you. Look around you today and you see all these people and uh, don't make it awkward or anything like that. But think about for a second for yourself, how did you serve this group of friends who you're sitting with this week? And maybe you did. And maybe you didn't. And I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip or anything like that today. And I'm going to talk about some practical suggestions for serving here in a few minutes. So I just think that's one of those things we do is we have a, a pushing of service onto another class of people. The second thing I see in the Christian culture is there seems to be a replacement. And it seems to me that what I would call self-centered volunteerism 
has been replacing Jesus' idea of selfless service. Self-centered volunteerism replacing selfless service. We, we can all agree that there are lots of opportunities to serve out there in the culture, in our world. And, and I think that's really good. I think it's good we live in a culture where people are uh, interested in, in doing lots of different kind of things. And so I'm not saying that's bad, but I think we can also, also look at many organizations and many people engage in volunteering, but many of them are really doing it out of their own self-interest, right? Uh, maybe they're trying to gain some status in their community. They're, they're able to, they, they want to be able to boast about what they've done. Um, maybe they want to get a kickback. They say, oh, if my kid is involved in this thing, I can sort of volunteer here and then I get sort of a, a kickback in how my kid is treated or in something like that. Uh, or uh, a lot of businesses, organizations will do volunteerism as a way to look good so they can market it and they can put it on a glossy brochure and so on. And so what this sort of self-centered volunteerism does uh, is, and because there's lots of opportunities out there, we, we all kind of have a cafeteria of, of choices. We can choose from all these different ways that we can go out there and volunteer and do all these things. And now choice isn't necessarily bad, but when there's so many choices, do we serve where there's an immediate need in our circle of friends or do we look for places that we prefer? Do we look for places where it is of the most benefit to us? And so I think usually our human nature is that we'll serve in things that either require the minimum or look the best to others or are not dirty or dangerous, which are the things that Jesus has called us to serve in. So when we think about those things of what's going on in the culture around us, we better ask, is, is that what Jesus intended when he called us to serve each other and when he modeled it for us by washing the feet of the disciples? I don't think so. And so I, I get it. I get it that each one of us has obstacles in our own lives that make us not want to serve. And we all have things that we can wield as excuses when it comes to serving. And I fully understand that our, there are some things that we encounter that are just simply unpleasant to each of us. And so it can be very easy for us, each one of us, to rationalize and say, ah, I just don't like to serve in that way. And, and look at those other people. They're, they're gifted at it. They appear better equipped than me. And so, you know what? I'm going to let them serve in that way. But by doing that, we're ignoring the fact that being gifted or having a bent or being better equipped still means that a person who serves has to put in hard work and sacrifice in dealing with things that are unpleasant. We could put it this way. Someone who is gifted in washing feet is still, in fact, washing feet. So when each of us individually, when we let things that are unpleasant or our own preferences stop us from serving in particular ways, you know what? We're essentially saying to our friends, no, 
I will not wash your feet. And when we say that, that's the same thing as saying, God, I'm not going to fully imitate Jesus. And Jesus said a number of things about serving. Uh, one of the other things he said is in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. And we're familiar with this verse too. He said, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Focus on that first part. Not to be served, but to serve. This is a high bar. That's a high bar. And so I'd ask you, are you aiming for it in your life? Now, before we go any further with that, let's preach the gospel to ourselves in this. You know, we've been talking about preaching the gospel. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves in this. Why do we imitate Jesus? Why should we seek to serve and not be served? Well, we know it's not because by doing that, we're going to be righteous. Serving is not going to make us righteous. Remember, we are loved to the max, and we are seen as fully right in God's eyes because of Christ. Instead, we have freedom, and with that freedom, we can serve in freedom because God first loved us. Like we've said, unconditional love should lead us to an unconditional response. So unconditional love can lead us to serve just as Jesus served in the dirty and the dangerous and not out of some sense of selfish volunteerism. So if you would, take a second right now and look around you and all the people sitting around you. Okay, now I want you to all to close your eyes. And I'm going to say this. You are sitting right now in a meeting of your house church. And maybe things seem casual and relaxed. And maybe you feel a bit like this meeting is kind of chill <laughs> compared to when we met all together on Sundays back in the building. But I want you to remember that it took a series of acts of service to make your house church meeting happen today. Somebody opened their home. They cleaned it up. They probably threw a bunch of unfolded laundry in a closet and they opened the door to you. Uh, somebody set up the chairs and somebody will put those chairs away and clean up when the meeting is over. Maybe somebody has put together some refreshments for you and that'll have to be cleaned up at the end too. Somebody planned for worship or prayer, and maybe they practiced singing or playing their instrument this week. Somebody is going to be leading the discussion at the end of this time. Somebody has planned to read the Word, and they've read it ahead of time to make thoughtful questions, and to maybe some of you are being led in communion today. Some of you are on Zoom this morning, and you know what? Somebody arranged the technology so that you could be connected this morning. If you've got kids on hand at your house church, somebody right now is possibly, probably helping to shepherd them. Maybe they've planned a lesson or some activities for them. So when I put it this way, it sounds like a lot of work went into the meeting today, right? And that's because, yes, it is a lot of work. Even in house church, there's a lot of work. And I want you to remember this, too. These things are happening not just once, 
but every week. And there's no set of professionals to push this off to. And you know what? Whoever serves is not going to get a kickback for serving in any of these ways. Okay, so now you can open your eyes. I'm guessing you probably know where I'm going with all of this at this point. But think back to all those things I just mentioned about making a house church meeting go. I bet when you think about those things, some of those things you might think, yes, I want to help with that. And I think that's great and that's commendable. And then some of those things I mentioned, you might say, well, I would like to help with that thing, but it's just, it's just physically impossible for me to do that. And, and that's understandable. But there's other things that I mentioned where you might say, I don't want to help with that thing because... And then you follow that with a whole list of excuses. But remember what, what did Jesus tell us about serving? Well, we remember he gave us freedom. And he gave us freedom, why? So that we could not be served but serve. And he gave us freedom so that we could lay down our lives for our friends. And he gave us freedom so that we could wash one another's feet. So in a minute here, I'm going to turn it over to the discussion leader in your house church. Now, you know, we've been moving towards this house church format over this the past six months or so. And remember how it's been kind of a gradual transition? Like we met in houses once a month and then twice a month and now we're up to three times a month. And and by the way, next week, our final meeting in our building on Tejon is going to happen at 10 o'clock. We're going to have a celebration where we're going to have fellowship and worship and baptism. And we'll probably share uh, some of our memories of being together in that space and be looking forward to the future. I encourage everybody, whether you've been coming to our church from the beginning or you're brand new, come and join us for that time. I think it's going to be a real sweet time. Anyways, part of our transition from when we were at that place into these house churches is that we want to continue as we're rolling along here to open up and explore areas of service. And so I'm not putting any sort of guilt trip on anybody of, hey, everybody should have been serving in all these ways up to now. No, we've been in a season of transition. So just breathe easy. But we want to be asking these questions. And so you're going to have a discussion here as a house church of what are some ways that we can serve each other. Now remember, we want to do this because we want to imitate Jesus. And serving each other in our house churches is a really clear and straightforward way to lay down our lives for our friends. And so again, I'm going to list through some of those ways you can serve in your house church, right where you're at. One of those things is hosting. You know, actually, almost anybody can host, unless maybe you live in a studio apartment or 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 you have some sort of unique situation with roommates or something like that, just about anybody can host. Now, you might say, well, but it's not very comfortable at my house. Well, you know what? That's not so important. What's important is that we're together. You know, if we have to do standing room only, we'll do standing room only. If we can't have a separate room for kids to go off to, we'll just keep them with us. You know, we can manage just about any circumstance. If you've, if you've got a really fragile uh uh, Ming Dynasty vase that you got from grandma that you're worried about somebody breaking. Well, tell the people in your house church and just be really careful with it. So we're not so worried 
about the comfort or those circumstances, right? Now, you might say, well, but I kind of live far away. And I know a number of us live in, a, in, a, in a, some distance. And some of you, you know, praise the Lord, you, you drive to house church a significant distance every week. But, you know, you could host it. It's okay if you're not central. Guess what? The rest of us, we can all travel to meet at your house. Now, what about the frequency of, of having other people host? You know, we feel like, hey, we've got these places and there's good to have a regularity of the places we meet. And of course we want to do that. But we would really like to see each of your house churches aim to meet in a different location than, than the usual location about every four to six weeks. And we'd really love to see it rotate through a number of locations for each house church. And you might say, why? Isn't that confusing? Well, it could be, but I think we're all connected well in our communication. And if we know enough in advance, then I think things will work out okay. But the main reason we want to do this is it spreads around that opportunity to serve. And also, as our house churches grow, and we need to have one house church turn into two house churches, we're going to need more meeting spaces. And so this is going to be good practice for us in the future. And of course, it makes, makes us ready for having a backup plan if somebody gets sick suddenly or there's other things that happen that come up. So hosting is one of those ways you can serve. Another way is refreshments. Now, everybody loves food and everybody loves coffee and just about anybody can put those things together. Now, as you think through those things in your house church, you, you could say, let's have a regular person or a regular family. Or you might say, let's do a rotation or... You might just decide, hey, we're, we're, we'll come up with some other plans. So whatever works best. You might say, well, how are we paying for that? Well, uh, your house church leader will work with uh, Brad and I as pastors, and we'll help determine what the budget is for refreshments and for hospitality. A third thing we can do is real simple setup and cleanup. Uh, it could be as simple as show up just a few minutes early to set up chairs or stay late just a few minutes to pick up trash and help reset somebody's house. Uh, it's really helpful. Then there's some other things that will vary quite a bit from house church to house church. What about worship and prayer or leading discussion or leading in Sunday school or activities for the kids? And each one of your house churches can discuss those things uniquely. And then finally, there may be special situations in your house church. There may be circumstances in the lives of the families who are sitting there with you now or who are part of your circle. Um, and there are needs that they have that really could be met by serving. And so you and house churches can definitely feel free to discuss those as well. And if you look at your family and say, yeah, there's really a way uh, I could be served. It would really bless me if people help me with something. You can feel free to bring that up during the discussion. So these are some practical ways we can wash each other's feet and imitate Jesus within our house churches. So as I close here, I want to reiterate that I know that selfless serving is hard. And I know that our tendency is that we want to run away from it. But this is a discipline. It's a discipline, and we all have to develop it if we're going to become disciples of Jesus. And so to do that, to develop the discipline, we're going to need to be stretched we're going to have to get a little bit dirty if we're going to be disciples of Jesus. And so once again, I would just reiterate that our house churches are a place 
where we are all, every single one of us, looking for ways to serve. Again, let me caution you, don't make this a menu where you're just going to pick your favorite way to serve. Instead, I would challenge you to think about what can you do that stretches your preferences, that pushes your flesh, that would be a way you could bless the people in your circle. How can you wash others' feet and how can you lay your lives down for them? All right, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus and Jesus laid out a model for us and he showed us that he was not only our teacher and our Lord, but he was our example. And Lord, as he washed the disciples' feet and he got down and he got in there and he got dirty and did something that was totally unpleasant, that was totally out of place for him, he showed us that we ought to do the same out of love for you. And so, Lord, I'd ask you to help us here as we head into this discussion time that we would be open, that we would show care for one another, that we would look for ways we could be selfless in our serving in our house churches. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the good news that we are saved because Jesus paid the penalty for us, that we don't have to be righteous, that we don't have to serve to be right with you or to be loved by you or to find your pleasure. Help us to live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.